You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Good morning, Dr. History. How are you? Good morning, Zeb. It's a beautiful sunny day. Great, great day today. It's a great day to get out and enjoy. Go drive someplace. Go see something. Go do something. Oh, yeah. Yep. It is. So today, Zeb, I want to dedicate today's show to nine-year-old Gus. He's a fourth grader in Jacksonville, Texas. Oh, my. Gus wrote to me, and he requested a story on Quanah Parker. Uh Uh-huh. So we're going to talk about Quanah Parker, and I want to thank Gus, this nine-year-old fourth grader. Him and his dad love listening to the show down there in Texas, so... I'm going to talk about the Quanta Parker. Well, I'll tell you what, I've announced a lot of events down in the Lone Star State of Texas. I've got a lot of friends there, and you just have at it. Thank you very much. So Quanta Parker, okay, he was a man born to greatness. Uh, He was forged in the fires of the hatred between the two warrior races, the Texans and the Comanche. Now, his Comanche name was Quanta which meant sweet-smelling or fragrance. But his white enemies called him Parker, uh, kind of out of a certain grudging respect. And in his lifetime, he lived in two worlds, red and white, and he excelled in both of them. Now, his mother was Cynthia Ann Parker. And I'm going to talk, after I talk about him, I'm going to talk more about Cynthia, his mom. But she was a white girl abducted in 1836 uh, on a raid on the Parker Settlement. The raid was led by uh, what would be Quanah's uh, father, uh, Comanche War Chief uh, Peta Nakona. I hope I'm saying that right. But Nakona and his sons were hunting when Texas Rangers, commanded by Captain Sol Ross, raided their camp in 1860. And Cynthia, who by now was named Nada, and again, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, that was her Comanche name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she was recaptured with her daughter, Topsana. Now, although Cynthia and her daughter were returned to their white relatives, they both later died, and it was not until 1867, uh, when he was attending the Medicine Lodge Treaty Ceremonies, that Quanah found out that they had died. So he didn't know for seven years, that, uh, or for several years, that his mom and his sister had died. But anyway, uh, in his grief over the loss of his wife, Cynthia, uh, her husband, Pete Nakona, uh, had allowed a wound to go untreated, and he died of blood poisoning. Mm-hmm. Now, Pecos, who is Quanah's brother, had also gotten sick, and he also died. So the lone survivor of his family, the teenage Quanah, uh, you know, he, was, uh, he swore vengeance on the whites, who had robbed him of his mother, uh, his brother, and his sister. And so he joined the Quahati Comanche Band. And they were in the State Plains Territory, and as soon as he soon uh, grew to be a pretty tall, strong man, bold 
features, a good-looking guy. I've got a picture of him here, and he's a, a, a pretty handsome uh, man. But aside from his height and his blue-gray gray eyes, little about his appearance uh, suggested his white heritage. Now, he became a very good writer. He learned to handle the traditional Comanche weapons, uh, you know, the lance, the bow, uh, and the shield. Uh, so he was a, a skilled warrior. Now, by the time he was in his 20s, he was a proven leader. He quickly rose to a position of importance, second only to that held by the Quahati chief, uh, Bull Bear, and he eventually became known as their chief. Now, at the Medicine Lodge meeting in 1867, Quana made clear his intention to fight rather than submit to the reservation. So in the following years, uh, he raided through the Southwest, he fought with the Army, particularly with a guy by the name of Colonel R Ranald McKenzie and his 4th Cavalry. And on one occasion, he led a war party on a wild ride right through McKenzie's camp and made off with the Army's horses. Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't uh, set too, go uh, too good with Colonel uh, McKenzie, um, who was now afoot. But, but time, uh, you know, time was running out for the free Comanche as the, you know, and we've talked about this, the diseases that came through that wiped out tribe after tribe. You know, and then the soldiers and then the hunters came through and took their toll. But, you know, the Army kept up the pressure, and they found better success in its efforts against the other bands. They were able to get them. But by 1874, the Quahati Comanche were the only significant force of Comanche that remained clear of the reservation. Now, also about this time, the buffalo hunters moved down from Kansas, and, and they began to exterminate the great herds, destroying the Indians' livelihood. And we talked about that, too, last week, a little bit about the buffalo. But Quana, he built an alliance between five of the Plains tribes for this 1874 raid against the Hyde Hunters' settlement at Adobe Walls. But his careful plan of attack failed because the hunters were warned ahead of time. So though Quana took a bullet in the shoulder, he held his allies together for a siege that lasted for three days. Uh, eventually, he gave up and just left. Now... In the wake of that disastrous assault, Quana again turned to traditional but deadly guerrilla raids. He blazed a trail of fire and death across the state plains, uh, kind of thus throwing down the gauntlet, so to speak, to Colonel McKenzie. But McKenzie got a little wiser and a little more seasoned from other engagements, and he was ready to pick it up. He was ready to go after him again. Now, the Kiowa, the Comanche, the Cheyenne, and Arapaho often wintered in the great Palo Duro Canyon in the Texas Panhandle. I've been there. Not, you've been there? I, yes. I, I, yeah. I, is it a beautiful area? Beautiful. It's absolutely without anything coming close to it in certain respects. And it's right fairly close by to Amarillo. Okay. So that's where they were in that Texas Panhandle. Mm -hmm. He says it was kind of a natural for, uh, fortress there, yes. and that it provided uh, good water and grazing for these tribes to, to winter there. I have a question. May I interrupt you for a second? You mentioned a name earlier of a, I think, cavalry officer that was chasing Quanta Parker, and I think you said Saul Ross. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yes, Captain and and the reason I asked that, it, it caught my attention. He must have been very famous for this or something later in his career because they named a university after him, Sol Ross State University. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, and I really hadn't heard of him before. So, yeah, he must have done something afterwards or something that made him uh, famous. Right. So, so anyway, so uh, here we have the Kiowa, the Comanche, the Cheyenne, the Arapaho, and, and Quanah down there in this uh, uh, Palo Duro Canyon. And they pretty well thought they were safe and secure, but on September 28, 1874, Mackenzie kind of caught them napping, and he attacked. Well, his troopers managed to negotiate a trail down into the canyon before the warriors could get into position, and with rifle fire, the soldiers drove the warriors back. Then they destroyed their lodges, their supplies, and captured their main horse herd. Now, this next bit kind of makes me a little sick, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh, he, uh, Mackenzie gave his scouts their choice of horses first. Then Mackenzie ordered his men to destroy the remaining animals, over a thousand horses. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, an Indian's horse was his prized possession. Yeah. I mean, that was his means to make war, to hunt, to travel. And the slaughter must have been a Comanche's version of hell to stand helplessly by and listen to the thunder of the army's mm. rifles and the screams of the wounded and dying animals. You know, like I say, Zeb, you and I are horse lovers, and it just uh, kind of turns my stomach to think that uh, of all those beautiful animals being... I can't even, uh, I don't even want to think about it. I mean, I've been in the horse business all my life and have had to put quite a few horses down. Uh, don't even get started on that one. Yeah. Well, Quana and his uh, Quahati tribe had enough horses left to hunt and to hold out until spring, but it was a hard winter and Mackenzie's relentless pursuit left them starving. Quana knew his people couldn't eat pride, uh, and on June 2nd, 1875, he led his people into Fort Sill, where this uh, uh, Mackenzie waited for him. And so Quana Parker came to walk the white man's road. He went to visit Cynthia Ann's uncle Silas in East Texas, and the Parker family accepted him. They took him in, and so did the other Texans who had once hated him. They Now they looked upon him as one of their own kind. Uh, a fierce and respected warrior. Uh, he said of his mother, quote, if she could learn the ways of the Indian, I can learn the ways of the white man. Mm -hmm. So he got a, uh, obtained a photograph taken of Cynthia Ann and his uh, sister Topsana after their recapture, and he kept that with him always. And that's a famous picture that uh, you'll see different places of Cynthia Ann and her daughter. But, uh, you know, he returned to the Comanche Reservation on the Washita, uh, determined to walk the white man's road, but not to be whipped along it. And Quana had always been a negotiator, and when he was a war chief, so it was natural that he turned his abilities to preserving his people's rights. Mm -hmm. He was going to fight for them. Right. So he managed the reservation grazing rights as a true businessman, and he dealt shrewdly and profitably with the likes of Charles Goodnight, that's a familiar name. Uh, he became an accomplished lobbyist and spoke out against injustices, treaty violations, and environmental destruction carried out by the whites, all the while using the white man's law as the basis for his arguments. So, you know, this was no dummy. I mean, he was a smart guy. Um, he even invested in a railroad and served terms as a deputy sheriff, a school district president, and a judge in Oklahoma. He rode on hunts with President Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, most important of all, he won full American citizenship for all of his people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just an amazing man. 
But uh, Quanah Parker, the peaceful Comanche, remained Comanche, uh, not a broken reservation Indian. And in doing so, he overturned kind of the popular wrong stereotype that you think of the Indians on a reservation of just being lazy and no good, right? But, uh, you know, he remained a warrior to the end, uh, and even though he was defeated uh, in the armed conflict, he never surrendered his dignity. And before he died, he brought the bodies of his mother and his sister up from Texas and had them reburied near his home. And he was buried beside them under a marker with these words. said, quote, resting here until day breaks and darkness disappears is Quanah Parker, the last chief of the Comanche, died February 21st, 1911, age 64. Wow. Wow. Now, I'd like to go into his mom, a little more of a story about Cynthia Ann Parker. Now, she was born in 1824-25, they're not really sure when, and when she was 9 or 10 years old, her grandfather, John Parker, was recruited to settle his family in north-central Texas. He was to establish a settlement uh, fortified against the Comanche raids, and the Parker family and some of its uh, extended kin and surrounding families they established uh, a fortified blockhouse and a central citadel, later called Fort Parker. Now, have you heard of that, Jeff, Fort Parker? I have, yeah. and uh, I was also going to back up real quick, not to take any of your time. Uh, you mentioned Fort Sill. I have been in that area. As a matter of fact, it's not too far from a town called Carnegie, Oklahoma, a little bitty place, and they've bought cattle in that area, rope and steers. And you talk about the Wild West. It kind of is still today. Oh, okay. That's great. So... Anyway, so we move on. Uh, uh, Cynthia's grandfather, John Parker, the patriarch of the family, had experience negotiating with various Indian nations going back to the 18th century. But on May 19, 1836, a force of anywhere from 100 to 600 Indian warriors composed of Comanches accompanied by Kiowa and Kichai allies, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but they attacked the community. Uh, John Parker and his men were caught in the open, unprepared, off guard, and with the speed of the Indian warriors, they managed to fight, and they protected some of the escaping women and children, but soon all of the settlers retreated into the fort, but the Indians attacked the fort, they overpowered the outnumbered uh, defenders, and Cynthia Parker and five other captives were led away into Comanche territory. Now, the Texans quickly mounted a rescue force, and during the Texans' pursuit of the Indians, one of the captives, a young teenage girl, she managed to escape, but all of the other captives were released over a period of years when a ransom was paid. But Cynthia remained with the Indians for nearly 25 years, and she may have been as young as 8 or 9 or 11 uh, when she was captured, but she was pretty soon just integrated into the tribe, she was adopted by a Kennewish Comanche couple hmm. who raised her as their own daughter, and she forgot her original ways and became a Comanche in every sense of the word. Hmm. And as I mentioned, she married Pete, Pita Nakona, who was a chief. They enjoyed a happy marriage, and as a tribute to his great affection to her, he never took another wife, even after she had passed away. Uh, they had three children, of course, 
and another son named Pecos, and he's one that died. And the daughter, Topsana, uh, that also died. And Topsana uh, the, it means prairie flower. Mm-hmm. So that's the story of Cynthia and her three children. And like I say, she lived a happy life uh, with the Comanche and integrated into their culture and uh, probably had a harder time going back into any kind of a white culture, I would think. You know, it's so interesting to hear you drop names during the dissertation that you had about Quanta Parker. And a lot of those names were left for historical review even today with the names of towns like Quanta, Texas, or Sol Ross, uh, Sol Ross State University, uh, Chief Nakona, which now is uh, enamored with Nakona Boot Company. I mean, there's so many names that live on. Well, and Charles Goodnight. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's a famous cattle drive uh, name that uh, uh, drove thousands of cattle north out of the Texas area. So, uh, so Quanah and Charles Goodnight must have met, and uh, somehow they made arrangements for uh, Charles Goodnight to drive his cattle through and not be uh, uh, harassed, I guess, by the Comanches at that point. I am trying to remember, and maybe you can recall, the name of the movie that featured the life of Quanta Parker, and I'm not having any luck trying to come up with that name. I, I'm not sure. I've got to describe a picture that I've got in front of me, Zeb. It shows Quanta Parker on a horse, and it's a gray horse. Uh, he's got a headdress on that goes down his back and actually falls clear down below the horse's belly. Oh, my. I mean, just uh, all these, I, and I, I'm assuming these are uh, eagle feathers, but mm-hmm. it's a really a long, he's got a bow uh, uh, in his hand and some arrows, and he's just sitting there very proudly and distinctly on this, uh, this gray horse uh, uh, next to a teepee. Just a, and again, just his regular picture that I saw, uh, just a, a very handsome, uh, proud, dignified uh, man. Let me ask you real quick, and I've only got 30 seconds left, but uh, according to the reports, he was a, a relatively large man for being yeah. a, a Comanche Indian, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, it says that he was uh, a, a pretty good-sized guy. Uh, yeah, tall, strong, bold features. Yeah, he was. Okay. That was an outstanding story this morning. But I was just really amazed as to the names that you had had during the course of that uh, uh, dissertation again about uh, the names that live on, Nakona and Sol Ross and all those. That's really interesting. And once again, to my good little friend in Texas, Gus, nine-year-old Gus, Gus, uh, fourth grader in Jacksonville, Texas, so, Gus, I hope you enjoyed that story, and every, thanks for writing to me. Absolutely, and every time I hear the name Gus, I always think of my favorite movie ever, Lonesome Dove. <laughs> yeah, yep. Hey, listen, man, God bless you. Super job. we got to get together on the phone. Call me later on today. I'd appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Dr. History with an outstanding story about Quanta Parker. I enjoyed that very, very much.